politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for a brand new week at Blaze Media to guide you through the fight for our lives, our liberty, our property, our bodies in its most literal sense. And no, we have not been emancipated. In fact, we are all slaves. This is Pfizer's world, and we merely live in it. We have a lot of information to share today on June 20th, and it's very apropos. You see, June 20th is an interesting day. No, it's not the day of the fake BLM, uh, hyena, George Floyd criminal celebration day that was pushed off the day that gave the federal government another excuse to give their lazy workers off the day. And in fact, I wish they were off every day. But it was actually the date in 1782 that the Continental Congress adopted the Great American Seal. It's June 20th. And you know what's on that seal? You know, with the eagle, with the olive branch in its mouth, the back has the pyramid. E pluribus unum. From many, there is one. And the idea is that we are all united in America. There is no, there are no dukes and counts and uh, lordships. We're all on the same level. We all have the same rights. And what the masters of the universe tried to do, manipulating right around July 4th, creating a new retroactive fake holiday, is to distract and obfuscate the real division and divide in the country and really the entire Western world, which is between all of the normal people and the wicked globalist elites, and try to make it and drive a wedge between races, and it's about race. That's what it was about, and you all know that. And we got a lot to get to on the shots, on COVID fascism. But I want to just start off addressing the day for a minute here. And let me just say that if you are one of those, you know, three out of 330 million people that lived in Texas, and to you June 19th, meant something, and, you know, because of the date that they found out about the emancipation there, and and that regional kind of, you know, significance, if that was a thing to you, and you really had some meaningful ceremonies every year of your life on that date, God bless you, keep doing it. But for the other 99.9% of people, we all know it has nothing to do with that, and it was George Floyd BLM's holiday, and how tragic, but apropos at the same time, That yesterday at a celebration of that day in D.C., there was a mass shooting where some officers were shot, a 15-year-old was killed. Oh, and by the way, in a gun-free city. (laughs) I must say, for a holiday that glorified and celebrated BLM, a sickening, violent organization that led to the most precipitous rise in mass crime in this country's history, it was truly a way to celebrate it with a bang. So that's what we saw there. 
But the broader point is, this is yet another tactic to divide, to divide, to accentuate racial differences. When we all know, that's not where it's at. In fact, there's more unity than ever before. It's the working man versus the elites. It's the working man of all races versus the elites of all races. In other words, the dividing line, what threatens to this day e pluribus unum is not a racial divide. It's the governing elites, just like they had in Europe in the Dark Ages. We still, and, and now we have that here. And the sick irony is, oh, we're celebrating the emancipation. Well, no, we're not. Because now, none of us are emancipated. We're, we're truly in this together. It doesn't discriminate based on race. It was established in March 2020, and we have not unestablished it. And this is going to be my goal to set up this new Nuremberg Code. But as of now, they control our bodies. They could suggest at any point, you or I am a threat to public health. And there is nothing they cannot do to our bodies, our souls. That is really where the fight is. And in fact, if you want to make it about race, let's not forget that dangerous vaccine experimentations actually did begin with blacks. So this is where we are today. The war is not between races. It's between us and the depraved elites. And more specifically, it's between humans and transhumans. All of us who want to live as humans and those who want to basically make us a bunch of transhumans. There's an article at the National Pulse I wanted to share with you before we do our briefing on all the studies. I want to go through some of the studies and literature just in the last couple of days that came out on the shots. But from the, our friends at the National Pulse, transhumanism. Former government advisor claims one in five babies will be virtual by 2075. Virtual children are being proposed as a viable solution to overpopulation, according to a leading authority on artificial intelligence and a former UK government advisor. Computer-generated babies that cost about $25 per month are likely to become a common phenomenon by the early 2070s, argues uh, Catriona Campbell, who advised the British government on the first drafting of its usability and accessibility standards. Make no mistake that this development should indeed take place is a technological game changer, which, if managed correctly, could help us solve some of today's most pressing issues, including overpopulation. See, too many people project their own goodness on evil people that don't abide by that goodness. People can't believe there is this much evil. But everywhere you turn, the people that are making these decisions, that ilk, the, the common thread is they believe in overpopulation. And they believe that all these things they're doing, socially, economically, physically on our bodies, public health, it all lands in the same place. right? You make food scarce, energy scarce. What happens? You thin the herd. You give everyone a clot shot. What happens? You thin a herd. You create more pathogens with the shot, self-spreading, what happens? You thin the herd. You make an entire generation of people confused and think that they're every alphabet soup level of sexuality. So what's going to happen? Well, they're so messed up mentally, 
physically, they castrate themselves, guess what? You can't procreate. And then just in general, when you break those bonds, you make increasingly men are more feminized, women are made more masculine, you mix everything up. Everything is up, up and down. That's what they do. And that's why they want to invade our country with, you know, from the border. You, on the surface, you might think, well, that adds to the population. And those people actually have a much higher birth rate than the native population. But that's kind of the point. Because they know what makes America, America is the population we have, not of invaders that never went through a proper process. So by doing that, it's going to attenuate the continuity of American culture, and over time that will lead to the ultimate depopulation. So the point is, they the reason why they want to continue accentuating old, outdated racial divisions and keep dredging up as if, you know, we're still de- dealing with the 1850s, they keep making it seem like, oh, you know, blacks are enslaved, is because they are enslaving all of us. But in a way that is so high tech, the purveyors of the slave trade from a few hundred years ago could have never envisioned. We're all in the same boat as humans against the transhuman, depraved elites. That is the real divide. But anyway, I want to I want to go through today just a list of you know every once in a while we do this. There are hundreds, hundreds of academic papers published in by, by illustrious researchers in very well-respected journals that each one shows signals of extremely insane things about these shots. It's out in the open. I'm just going to read to you a few things throughout the next half an hour or so that came across my, most of them are new, but some of them maybe it's just, you know, Peter McCullough or Dr. Claire, we had her on Friday. You know, they, they, they posted this. So some of it might be a few months old, but it's just come to life. You know, you don't always see all the academic literature out there and actually you won't see it. And it's funny, each one basically, yeah, this thing kind of has the risk of sterilizing you, of damaging your heart, of doing this, but you know, it's really amazing. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we're certainly not here to deny um, the amazing contribution to humanity that Pfizer has given us. That's basically the tone of all these things, but they still get published. So despite all the censorship, we have a wealth of information that this is going on, yet they foisted it upon kids. It's going to start on Tuesday, babies and toddlers, and so far, I have not yet successfully, we'll see by the end of the week if I succeed, in getting another state aside from Florida, Speaking out against this. Now, our sponsor today is America's one and only Christian conservative cell phone provider, Patriot Mobile. They are passionate about free speech, about your constitutional rights, while all the other carriers are going to spy on you and censor you. They will keep your plan free of all censorship. And not only that, you're not giving money to those who hate you. Patriot Mobile shares your values, support. Uh, sports organizations that are fighting for religious freedom, sanctity of life, our veterans, first responders. The money won't go to Pfizer. So go to patriotmobile.com slash CR as in conservative review today or call 972-PATRIOT, which is actually 
their American-based customer service line, so you'll get someone who actually speaks English. You get free activation with offer code CR. Make sure to mention that when you talk to them. Veterans and first responders save even more, so make the switch today. Go to patriotmobile.com slash CR. That's patriotmobile.com slash CR CR or call 972-PATRIOT. It's time we support companies that love America, love you, and share your values. So I just want you guys to take out a sheet of paper. Take take out two sheets of paper. On one, write down the number of Republicans who spoke out against injecting babies with Pfizer's basically needle abortion on one paper. Okay, how many people are you going to have on there? Okay, how many... I mean, governor and Senate is easy. Governor, it's Ron DeSantis. Senate, it's Ron John and Rand Paul. I can't think of anyone else. There might have been. I don't want to say there aren't, but I don't recall off the top of my head. I'm sure, you know, Chip Roy, I know, has spoken out as a House member. You have a few more House members, and that's it. Then on the other sheet of paper, write down the number of Republicans that have referenced this newly created BLM federal holiday. And have like ascribed to it some mystical sense. I've seen even some of these, you know, conservative members like, oh yeah, you know, oh in the eighteen hundreds, this was amazing. We all know where this is coming from. So this should be the top news story of the day. Top news story of the day. There's a study in scientific journal Andrology. Okay. It's titled, COVID-19 Vaccinations, BNT Yabadabadu, Temporarily Impairs Semen Concentration and Total Modal Count Among Semen Donors. Now, it's not a massive sample size, but the signal is huge. And they found that systemic immune response after Pfizer COVID vaccine is a reasonable cause for transient semen concentration and sperm count decline. Okay, sperm concentration fell by 14.5% during the initial measurement. It was 15 to 45 days after the second jab. And then it actually continued falling up until six months. And then they found that after six months, it started to recover. Okay, thank God, started to recover. Why wouldn't these numbers... So the question is, why would they suddenly recover then? What mechanism is it continuing to operate 150 days out on sperm concentration suppressed? And then they didn't study boosters, so it was only double vaxxed by, you know, that in, in their sample size. So let's say someone, okay, they kind of recover, and then they get another, you know, more poison. Third, fourth, fifth, which, which many are getting. Then what happens to the sperm level? Now, they go on to praise the shots and say, oh, it's just, it's just a sign that the shots are working. That's literally what they... Now, they're right. It is a sign. If, you've, if you're having that in your body, it's a sign you didn't get saline and you got the real thing. And it's still floating around, or at least the damage is still there 150 days later. This is insane. 
No, it doesn't prove that X number or X percent of males will absolutely be permanently sterilized forever. No, okay? If that's the new bar, we don't know that yet. But it does prove like, oh, okay, so on the female side, menstrual irregularities up the wazoo. The LNPs deposit in the ovaries, and we know they're very inflammatory. Okay. And now, and I've said this before, and this is our first smoking gun, I was like, who's to say with men, you're not finding the problem either? It's just you don't have that immediate signal that you'll have with women. It's already been proven that we have a bunch of issues in Iceland, we talked about the UK, Israel, stillbirths, um, spontaneous abortions. Among those, you know, well, in Israel, we actually did prove we do have comps, vaccinated, unvaccinated. Other countries, it's just more of a macro red flag that we're seeing just a lot of these numbers. Well, Daniel, maybe it's COVID. No, they actually ruled it out in Scotland. They ruled out COVID. And it's obvious because just like with the heart ailments, you didn't see it in 2020, but you saw it in 2021. This is a big freaking deal. And you're, without any further study, you're injecting it in babies and toddlers that never needed it, don't need it, doesn't work, negative effective. How, how, I don't, you know, I keep wanting to get on because I, I want to talk a lot about energy, Ukraine, the border with this new stuff. There's new stuff on everything. And I keep wanting to get away from this issue, but I can't think of a more consequentially devastating thing that is being done to our people. And no one's speaking out against this. This is a big, big deal. And by the way, we, we've already, there's, I've, I've heard personally, we've seen um, in literature erectile dysfunction. Now, I don't know if it's the same thing that's causing the um, sperm count issues and then the, the modal count that's kind of like the mobility of it. Um, I know Dr. Ryan Cole told me he thought the erectile dif- dysfunction might have been the result of microclotting. Um, so who knows? Who knows? But it ain't good. Like, this is insane. Isn't it interesting? You know, it's funny how they say... They still market this on the label. It's straight up fraud as a sterilizing vaccine, right? That it sterilizes the virus, even though even they admit now that it only helps against critical illness, which it actually doesn't. It's actually negative effective at this point, but that's what they say. But they all agree it doesn't stop infection, but they're actually right. It is a sterilizing vaccine, except it sterilizes you, not the, not the pathogen. So that's with that. Let's go on. Journal of Japanese Society of Vaccinology. whole bunch of researchers, they're all over the place. U- U.S., European, um, Australian, uh, very prestigious places. The title of the study, Serious Adverse Events of Special Interest Following MRNA Vaccination and Randomized Trials, Pooled Analysis of Pfizer and Moderna's C19 Vaccine RCT Data. So they looked at the excess risk of serious adverse events of special interest. And they found that they were greater than the risk reduction 
for COVID-19 hospitalization relative to the placebo group in Pfizer and Moderna trials. A systematic review and meta-analysis using individual participants' data should be undertaken to address questions of harm-benefit in various demographic subgroups. Full transparency of the COVID-19 vaccine clinical trial data is needed to properly evaluate these questions. Unfortunately, well over a year after widespread use of COVID-19 vaccines, participant-level data remain inaccessible. Participant-level data. In other words, what happened with those people? We already know that as a six-month follow-up in New England Journal of Medicine, there were more all-cause deaths in the trial than the placebo groups. But what we never found out is, to take it to the next level, what about not just death, but serious adverse events? Shouldn't we follow that up? Not only won't they produce the data, and this is on adults before you you know, do it on the, on the, on the babies, but guess what? They vaccinated all the placebo. So they took away and they did that. They covered the crime. This is, I mean, each individual thing is crazy. And this, they actually don't even sugarcoat. All the other things I'm quoting to you today, they all write at the end, oh, the shots are still amazing. This, they actually end off like, yeah, you know, they're kind of not showing it. This is insane. A year later, we really need the clinical data because what they're finding so far is that whatever benefit they might say is in reduction of hospitalization. Again, to the extent that that was true, it was with the original strains in those first few months, not later on. That's no longer true anyway. It was more than wiped out by the severe adverse events, meaning you are more likely, this is literally a prestigious study from multiple prestigious researchers all over the world telling you that what they have found is that more people were hospitalized from severe adverse events than what you would benefit from a reduction in hospitalization, even when it was reducing it, supposedly. Straight up, each one of these is a huge news story. doesn't exist. It doesn't matter. There is literally nothing that could come out about these shots that will change anything. Let's move on. Michigan State Department of Mathematics. They have a study out in the Journal of Physical Chemistry Letters. Title, Mechanisms of SARS-CoV-2 Evolution Revealing Vaccine-Resistant Mutations in Europe and America. Hmm. So let me, before I read it, let me just say, not only did the vaccine induce all of these injuries, heart, you know, inflammatory, autoimmune, uh, neurological, whatever, but the... But And I believe this, and you know this has been my thesis for over a year, the Delta variant and what occurred last year with COVID being horrendous. I mean, it was downing young people. It was the worst thing we've ever seen. That was vaccine injury. And even if you didn't have the shots, but that created that suboptimal evolutionary pressure which created the viral immune escape, and then that's what you have floating around. So, you know, it was equal opportunity. Now it seems to be, you know, it's a little bit different. It's that the thing itself is not so pathogenic, but it does have more of an affinity for the antibodies produced by the vaccine and the vaccinated. Anyway, so this from the Michigan State Department of Mathematics. 
Recent studies confirm that natural selection is the dominating mechanism of SARS-CoV-2 of evolution, which favors mutations that strengthen viral infectivity. Here we demonstrate that vaccine breakthrough or antibody-resistant mutations provide a new mechanism of viral evolution, specifically vaccine-resistant mutation Y449S in the spike protein receptor-binding domain, which occurred in co-mutations Y449S and, and uh, N501Y, has reduced infectivity compared to that of the original SARS-CoV-2, but can disrupt existing antibodies that neutralize the virus. By tracking the evolution of trajectories of vaccine-resistant mutations in more than 2.2 million SARS-CoV-2 genomes, we reveal that the occurrence and frequency of vaccine-resistant mutations correlate strongly with the vaccination rates in Europe and America. We anticipate that as a complementary transmission pathway, vaccine breakthrough or antibody-resistant mutations like those in Omicron will become a dominating mechanism of SARS-CoV-2 evolution when most of the world's population is either vaccinated or infected. Our study sheds light on SARS-CoV-2 evolution transmission that enables the design of the next generation mutation-proof vaccines and antibody drugs. So, like, notice how they have to end it off. Oh, wait, wait. So you're creating something that not only didn't help and caused a bunch of injury, but it actually perfectly perpetuates and exacerbates forever in a vicious, degenerative cycle of the more you vax, the more you create a pathogen. So you'd be like, oh my gosh, this thing needs to be pulled from the market immediately. Um, you know, as we're putting it in the arms of babies and the people behind it need, we need a Nuremberg trial and hang them. No, it's like, this kind of sheds light on the um, next generation, hopefully mutation-proof uh, versions that we will supposedly pull out of thin air. And again, this does shed light on a lot of what we've been talking about. You look at Portugal is the most vaccinated country in Europe. It has the highest um, case rate in the world, and, and they are having a lot of hospitalizations, too. And, yeah, it also does shed light on why we are seeing so many reinfections. It's mainly among the vaccinated, but it is to a certain degree beyond my comfort level, beyond our comfort level, in people who even didn't get the shots are getting... It, it, it's much rarer, but... It's not like it typically is, which is like a fraction of a percent. You know, you get the pathogen, boom, you're immune for life. And it was that way until the mass vaccination. Because again, there's original antigenic sin, antibody-dependent disease enhancement, which is going to be in those, that's a micro thing in the body of the person that got the shot. But then there's also just the macro viral immune escape that you're going to create what's circulating is able to evade to a certain extent even the antibodies and the you know broader humoral immunity, cellular immunity produced by natural infection. And again, this is borne out literally in Pfizer's own baby trial. If you remember, there were 12 reinfections in their trial where they got it twice. 11 of the 12 were vaccinated. Now, still one, disturbingly, was unvaccinated. It's right there. It all jives. And by the way, this also jives with, um, this came out a while ago, I mentioned it, but Peter McCullough just tweeted it out, so it reminded me, the interim study, not interim, INSERIM, I-N-S-E-R-I-M, very prestigious research outlet at Marseille University in France, 
published in the Journal of Infection. This was last year, titled Infection-Enhancing Anti-SARS-CoV-2 Antibodies Recognize Both the Original Wuhan Strain and Delta Variants a Potential Risk for Mass Vaccination. Straight up there. And they basically note that was the first study to corroborate the theory I was pushing all along that the Delta variant was because of the mass vaccination, because of some form of strong enough to bind but not strong enough to neutralize. Um, and Peter McCullough's words, the way he explained the study, it explains why mandated products made the infection worse, starting with the Delta outbreak. Antibodies generated actually enhanced the illness instead of making it milder. Mechanistic support for concept of antibody-dependent enhancement. Again, this is criminal. I'm telling you, I mean, Vandenbosch is out there warning this thing is never going to go away. It can't. Because the beauty is, the more it happens, the more they vax, the more it happens, the more the more they come up with more. And by the way, they're not done yet. June 28th, they're meeting on the future framework where they're basically going to greenlight Pfizer and Moderna to just like unleash new variant vaccines without even a fake human trial. So they could just say, hey, we tested it in, the, in a lab. It's good. This is Joseph Mengele on a global scale. Joseph Mengele on a global scale. Never forget that. Let's move on. The UK, King's College, a couple others, UK researchers, published in The Lancet, Okay, so again, these are top journals or top research outlets. It's right there in plain sight. More than twice as likely to get long COVID if infected within three months of the vaccine as opposed to later on. If you want to look it up, the title is Risk of Long COVID Associated with Delta versus Omicron Variants of SARS-CoV-2. So the main point of the study is that they show Delta um, gave more long COVID, which I think we all know is some like, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, 10% for Delta, 5% for Omicron. Um, I know Delta was about 10 or 11% got long COVID, they claim. Um, now a lot of, so, so uh, where is this? If you look at that UK study, uh, Dr. Clare Dr. Claire Craig, she's a pathologist in the UK that we had on the show Friday. So she pointed out that a nugget is buried in it. Now, I want to make it clear. it's It doesn't test the likelihood of long COVID in the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. It's not part of it. But here's what it does do, which is very disturbing. They test people um, who got COVID how you know how likely were you to get long covid and the different cohorts were how recently did you get the shot before having got short covid that induced eventually long covid and they found that the closer you were to having had the shots so within 3 months you were more than twice as likely to get long covid if you got a subsequent infection, then let's say if you had the shots six months prior to getting COVID. And 
again, this was proven from day one when we had all those studies out from day one that people got COVID worse and um, were more likely to get it or they had worse reactions to the spike protein if they already had the virus, they already had antibodies. And the point is because, to give a very crude analogy, but I think it's it's true, it's like lighting a match in a room full of gas. It's already primed. So if you recently had the spike circulating in your body, it, it's going to really juice up the spike. So, I mean, it's, you know, what is long COVID? It's a residual spike stuck in your monocytes, stuck in different places that give you neurological problems. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's very, in, in other words, you can't say on paper it proves that you're more likely to get it, to get long COVID if you have the shots. But it basically does prove that because you see very strong association with the the, the more, they, they should have had a third cohort, people that never had the shot. But they had people who had the shots recently versus people that didn't have the shots for a while. So one of the arguments that they were giving is that you know, we're like, wait a minute, like Omicron, it's over with. I mean, you know, so what if you get it? And then anyway, when you get the shots, you still get COVID and you're more likely to get it. So what are you, what's the point? What are you vaccinating against? So like, well, well, yeah, long COVID, it helps their long COVID. It doesn't. And it's likely worse. And we know it is. And by the way, Dr. Claire, she's a great um, uh, Twitter thread on this too. If you look at Google searches, for long COVID, it correlates perfectly with vaccine take-up. It's a pretty amazing, and it, cor- it cor- corroborate, cor- corroborates with this study, but it also does demonstrate her theory is that it's not to deny that there isn't a concept of long COVID. There definitely is, but that a good number of them could be long vaccine, and they blame it on COVID, because guess what? The vaccines are crap. They don't work. They're negative effective. So you get COVID anyway. So then it's hard to tell. Is it long COVID? Is it long vaccine? Who knows? But uh, that is where we are. That's where we are here. Let's move on. Study published in Virology. Okay. This is the journal Virology. Pretty famous. Title. Adverse effects of COVID-19 vaccines and measures to prevent them. Recently, The Lancet published a study on the effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccines and the waning of immunity with time. The study showed that immune function among vaccinated individuals eight months after the administration of two COVID shots was lower than that among the unvaccinated individuals. Right, and we know this already. In other words, your immunity is worse after eight months. Really, by now it's not eight months. That was old research, in my view. It's much quicker than that. But straight up, imagine straight up in academic literature, negative effectiveness. The study showed their immune function was. Where where is this? According to European Medicines Agency recommendations, frequent COVID nineteen booster shots could adversely affect the immune response and may not be feasible. The decrease in immunity can be caused by several factors, such as N1 uh, methyl pseudouridine, the spike protein, lipid nanoparticles, antibody-dependent enhancement, and the original antigenic stimulus. 
right? The pseudo-uridine, by the way, um, what's it? What's his name? Uh, Dr. Malone really believes that's a big, big part of the problem in the, in the shots. These clinical alterations may explain the association reported between COVID-19 vaccination and shingles. As a safety measure, future booster vaccination should be discontinued. In addition, the date of vaccination should be recorded in the medical record of patients. Several practical measures to prevent a decrease in immunity have been reported. These include limiting the use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, including acetaminophen to maintain deep body temperature, appropriate use of antibiotics, smoking cessation, stress control, yada, yada, yada. In conclusion, COVID-19 vaccination is a major risk factor for infections in critically ill patients. (laughs) That's their conclusion of a study in virology. And, you know, what's amazing is, you know, my my father sent me, you know, from his doctor, like some piece of crap the guy sent out. And and I'm like, these guys, everyone's like, oh, he's a doctor. But who knows more? A doctor that's, God bless him, he's treating patients all day, hopefully properly. Certainly not for COVID properly, but maybe for other things. He doesn't have time, and this guy even admitted that he doesn't have time to, to read everything. I know everything they know. Okay, we, we, we read the news. We, we see CNN. We know that, okay? So we all know. We see what you see. You don't see what we see. People that I'm, I am associated with, dozens of people that for over two years have a continuity of day-to-day observations on everything epidemiological, everything in academic literature. I mean, not everything you can't possibly give up, but much more than they do. They don't know any of this, and they spew all these doctors. I don't care what they know, what their IQ is, you know, how many uh, letters they have after they, their name. This is straight up out in the open, and it's not just, you know, some in-the-weeds study. It reflects the epidemiological reality perfectly that we're seeing. Joseph Mengele on steroids. Let's continue. Dr. Jessica Rose has a piece out on the disability, and she found something very interesting. So remember, um, what's his name? Ed Dowd. He's he's one of the big data analysis dudes that's been looking at you know different things economically, um, you know, life insurance and disability to prove the extent of vaccine injury. So we saw that the number of people in the household survey of the Bureau of Labor Statistics that say they're dis- they're disabled went up 2.9 million last year, unexplained. And she found something really interesting. If you look at the BLS numbers, you'll find that many more women are reported to be disabled more, you know, in 2021 than men. So a larger share of that increase came from women. Now, those of you who are advanced graduates of our our advanced studies here already are thinking, oh, wait, haven't you, you know, cited many sources that women seem to have more adverse events, right? Men, everyone knows the young males with the myocarditis, but everything else is more women. It's in every pharmacovigilance thing we have, every study. We're seeing that everywhere. Um, and so she figured Jessica Rose checked theirs. And she was like, sure enough, there are almost twice the number of disability reports from females. 
than males and theirs. It's truly amazing. Truly, truly amazing. 65% of the reports were um, female, 32% male. There are 793,195 reports and various made by females, 389,000 made by males. That's an amazing statistic. And that is comparable to the ratio of disability reports that we're seeing at BLS. This is a 2 to 1 ratio. This is 1.9 to 1, almost perfect. So all I can really say about disability reports and gender skewing is that there are twice as many reports made by females. That's from Dr. Jessica Rose. That's an amazing, again, you know, we're really connecting the dots here. Truly, truly amazing. I don't know what to tell you guys. It doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. You need to fight power with power, force with force, and just ban the shots. But we don't have elected officials who are going to do it. It's crazy. Dr. Claire also um, pointed this out. This is, again, an amazing thing. If you look at deaths in Massachusetts, okay? This is from Coquindechian Substack. C-O-Q-U-I-N-D-E-C-H-I-E-N Substack, if you want to look it up. But she, I, I found it from her. So this guy looks like he lives in Massachusetts and has really been looking at excess deaths. So he finds an unbelievable pattern. An unbelievable pattern. COVID deaths that had a cardiac code and COVID deaths that had a pulmonary embolism code. Think about that. I want you to think about that. Typically, COVID death would be COVID pneumonia, failed lungs, you know, different things like that. That that would be on the death certificate, some, some version of that. But a certain amount, you'd have cardiac code and a pulmonary embolism, right? There's a blood clot in the lungs. Now, you might say, well, Daniel, yeah, I mean, that's what the spike protein does. That's what, you know, in, in the severe COVID, if you're going to die from COVID, a certain number will die that way. And that's absolutely true. But here's the problem. COVID deaths that had a cardiac code, meaning what percentage of COVID deaths in the state of Massachusetts, what percentage of that pie had a cardiac code? In 2020, it was 12%. In 2021, it was 17.7%. In 2022, it was 19.6%. Pulmonary emboli, it was 1.1% in 2020. 2.1% 2020, 2.1% in 2021 and 3.5% in 2022. That is an unbelievably telling statistic, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because the calendar year nearly perfectly associates with the following. 2020 is COVID-1 strain pre-vaccine. 2021 is COVID, but together with the mass vaccination, 
and mainly the 800-pound gorilla in the room that year was the Delta variant. 2022 is with the boosters, COVID shots and COVID, but Omicron. So now let's plug that in. Okay, Daniel, well, maybe no, it's COVID. It makes sense. So, you know, you know, 10 to 20% of COVID deaths will be cardiac and have pulmonary emboli. That, that makes sense. Yeah. But then why would it keep going up perfectly year to year? Why would it keep going up? If it's COVID that's doing it, it's COVID that's doing it. Okay, Daniel, no, no, I'll tell you why. It's not really the the vaccine injury. It's the Delta variant was more thrombotic and terrible than the other variant. Now, I would argue, as we just said, that's because of COVID that created it, the, the, the vaccines that created it. But that's why you had a worse case of COVID deaths with pulmonary emboli or cardiac code in 2021. I could bite. But then why is 2022 even worse than 2021 when you have no Delta and you have Omicron, which is not thrombotic? It's not pulmonary, really. What the heck? There's no, there's no evidence of that. right? Everyone agrees. It's, 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 not, it's just not like that. You should be seeing the least, meaning if COVID, if, the, if, if, if commensurate with how thrombotic um, the COVID variant was you should actually see 2022 being the least yet it's the most but if you say it's the shots it perfectly correlates because there's a baseline that's definitely built in is covid no one doubts that you had it in 2020 it goes up even more in 2021 and even more in 2022 because those are the people with more and more doses and they get covid and it just destroys their immune system and and it kind of uh, all mixes together and they get they get blood clots, and then they're coded as a COVID death. And it could very well be they didn't die of COVID, but you know they looked at them, and they saw blood clots, and they saw COVID, and they had COVID. So like, well, they died of COVID. They died of COVID blood clots, but the blood clots might have been in there before they even got COVID. Who knows? That's not important. But that data point is unbelievable. Really, really jives. With what we're seeing here. Unbelievable. But your local doctor doesn't know any of this. A complete buffoon these people are. Let's go on to something else. So the therapeutics they were using. So this is the shots, the therapeutics they were using. As you well know, there are two things they would use in the hospital. They would use remdesivir as the antiviral even though it was past the viral stage and you need an anti-inflammatory, they wouldn't give it to you. To the extent they would use steroids, they used the wrong steroid, which didn't work for this, and the low dose of it, which is dexamethasone. They should have used methylprednisolone. Okay? Um, so there is a study out. So we already know that everything they're using is backfiring. Every single thing they're using, Paxlovid, Molnupiravir, Remdesivir, well, now we found it with dexamethasone. This is from Trial Site News. A team of physicians, scientists affiliated with University of Oslo Hospitals in Nor Norway. They recently concluded from a study that dexamethasone, the corticosteroid determined to help save severe COVID-19 in Oxford's recovery trial. No, it didn't. Appears to increase the risk of super infections in patients with SARS-CoV-2, the virus behind COVID-19. 
published recently in the Journal of Infection, the corticosteroid was linked to a significantly greater risk of super infections. That's the sepsis you see with all those diagnoses. Those of you who had loved ones who died of COVID in the hospital associated with COVID-19 patients who needed invasive mechanical ventilation. Now, I ran this theory by Dr. Lynn Finn, and she agreed with me. <clears throat> like, why, why would it do that? Because dexamethasone was the worst perfect storm. See, corticosteroids were needed, but you got to do it right. Because steroids, as you well know, are a double-edged sword. Steroids suppress your immunity, your immune system. So on the one hand, it's, it was dramatically needed with something this hyper-inflammatory because the thing that killed you usually was the hyper-inflammation, the cytokine storm where your, your cytokines, which is part of your immune system, would just beat the hell out of your, your lungs. So you needed to tamp that down. But on the other hand, it does suppress, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It suppresses your immune system. So you are more... Um, you're more vulnerable to super infections because you're you're tamping down your immune system. So I'm going to explain what what our doctors were doing versus what they were doing. It's kind of like shooting at the king and missing. Steroids you have to do at the right time, the right dose, the right type, and it's got to be the right protocol. Our doctors were using methylprednisolone, which every study showed that it directly addressed the lung inflammation much better, and they did a much higher dose. So it was effective. So it, it helped along with the ivermectin, you know, Pepsid, and sing, uh, Singular, or, or uh, um, phenofibrate, and ciproheptadine, and nebulized budesonide, their protocols helped heal the main disease of COVID-19, aka the inflammatory reaction, the cytokine storm. And it did it swiftly enough and expeditiously enough that you didn't wind up in the hospital. So you weren't vulnerable with the cytokine storm. And then it was done, you're over with, and done, you weren't prone to infection. And not only that, they would usually give you azithromycin to kind of foreclose those secondary bacterial infections. Whereas in the hospital, it was the worst of all things. So they would give you, on the one end, they would give you a steroid, but it was the wrong type and it was a very low dose. So it did just enough to suppress your immune system that made you vulnerable to super infection, but it didn't do enough to tamp down the cytokine storm so you would deteriorate and the two would play off each other. The cytokine storm and the sepsis. And that, that was the story of anyone in the ICU. Everyone knows that. And that, that really explains a lot of what we were seeing with people. And then often they wouldn't even give them the right antibiotics either or, or they would wait until it was too late. You know, I, I, most of the time, eventually they would. But yeah, you know, so so obviously if you're sit sitting there with the cytokine storm and it's destroying your body, you're more vulnerable to super infection to begin with. So they actualized all of the liabilities of giving steroids without the benefits. Perfect screwball. Again, you won't hear this anywhere else. But that's, that's what we saw there. And now let's go on to another thing they're using. Folks, this is Slate Magazine. Okay, left-wing magazine. 
Paxlovid has a slew of downsides, it's not here to stay. The day after I graduated from college, I got an unwanted present, COVID-19 test. I don't know who this writer is here. Hannah Do Dr. Loeb, whatever. I'd made it nearly 2.5 years without catching it, yada yada, I got it. But luckily, I figured I had a newish tool at my disposal. In addition to my triple vaccination, Paxlovid. And she starts talking about the use of Paxlovid. And she says it has a lot of downsides. Not only does it negatively interact with some common medications, but there have been complaints of an awful aftertaste, diarrhea, muscle aches. Some users reported rebound after Paxlovid. And she noticed all sorts of issues. I decided to go ahead and take the pill, or rather the three mammoth-sized pills twice a day. By the way, the ivermectin pills are tiny. I like to think that the hours I subsequently spent on the toilet were a fair trade for a speedy recovery. But who knows how much it even helped me. And she goes on to basically show how the whole thing sucks. So that's a whole nother story. Paxlovid is the therapeutic parallel of what the shots were with vaccination. And folks, I'm fine with something that if it actually worked, even if it left a bad taste around, and it, but it legitimately saved lives, okay, muscle aches, diarrhea, fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. But two things. Number one, it doesn't. There's no evidence. It's, it, I mean, people are still dying with it. And number two is, gee, if it's a novel thing that they sped along and we see what happened with the vaccines and you see that many people having no, see, typically most things, it's like it's written on the thing, like it could cause diarrhea, but except for known antibiotics or there's certain known things to do it, most things, like at least myself, I know some people aren't well tolerated, most things I don't experience problems with. You know, people have problems with Advil, I never have problems with Advil. I wouldn't know I'm taking it. I usually don't have problems. It seems like with Paxlovid, like, you know it. They might be mild, but you know it. It has a horrible aftertaste that leaves in your mouth. And it's not a syrup, it's a pill. Like, why should it be doing that? So, gee, we know they, fraud they, they, they fabricated every single study they did. We know there's no long-term studies. And short-term, we're seeing the problems, we're seeing the rebound. Gee, don't you want to venture, like, see, typically, when you have a long-standing safe thing, okay, Advil, and let's say you get diarrhea from it, you know that, okay, oh my, like, oh my gosh, this thing is not, like, circulating in my body, taking out my organs. It's not indicative of, okay, okay, that's a mild side effect, fine, you're fine with it. In this case, we don't know that. We don't know what it can and cannot be doing. So the fact that you're seeing... You know, I don't mind mild side effects, but if you have that many of them for that many people, that is a red flag. Unbelievable. Yet this th stuff is, is, is put out like candy. They won't even allow, they even allow pharmacies to basically give it to you on site without a doctor's prescription. Yet a doctor cannot prescribe the most well-tolerated in the NIH's own language, well-tolerated ivermectin and azoxanide, Hydroxychloroquine, you're trashed, you lose your license. This is the Sodom and Gomorrah we live in. The globe has become one big concentration camp. Our government and Pfizer have become one big Joseph Mengele. And we are the subjects.
We are the subjects. So folks, getting back to what we started with, emancipation, none of us have been emancipated. E pluribus unum, from many there's one, we're all in the same boat. We're all being experimented upon. They used to actually experiment on blacks, experimenting on everyone. They actually are pressuring blacks to get this more than anyone else. It's disgusting. And yet they create a holiday to honor the most genocidal organization around. Basically, it is a commemoration of a terrible human being, George Floyd. And then they celebrate it by having a shooting. They're distracting us. Folks, again, I want to get to some other issues this week. We're just getting started out. There's a lot going on. I want to get to the border. I want to get to Ukraine. Energy policy. Inflation. Just political stuff with Republicans screwing us. Electoral stuff. We'll do it all, but I wanted to start the week out just to give you a flavor. These are just a handful of some of the most recent nuclear bomb things to come out in the academic literature. This is just a smattering of it. It's there in plain sight. Nobody could say they didn't know or whatever. If you're a doctor and you don't know this, you are committing malpractice. Worse, you are Joseph Mengele. Shut your mouth and hang it up. You suck. You're p- pathetic. Yeah, I don't have a medical degree. Yeah, I'm not a doctor. But you know what? I know a hundred times more than your doctor does. So what the hell does that say about your doctor? That someone like me, without that scientific background at all, and I really don't have a background, and I was never even good at it, but it's there in plain sight for anyone to see. If you have a brain, an analytical mind, anyone could do this. And there are, thankfully, super doctors that are doing this, very few brave ones. But this is the type of information you're not going to hear elsewhere. Look, all the empty calorie shows are the ones at the top of iTunes. I'm not. I'm usually down there, you know, scroll down, you'll find me at 70 or 80, which is pretty good because there's, you know, tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of podcasts. But, you know, we need to grow the show. I need you guys to all get on if you haven't done it. If you don't use iTunes, I get it. But please go to iTunes, log in, um, give us a five-star rating with some sort of a comment, you know, because that helps the algorithm get us up. Send this to everyone you know. You won't be disappointed. Tell them you, you'll never hear this elsewhere. It's not your typical so-called conservative Republican you know, talk show. It's all sorts of different information. I'm so thankful for, for you guys making this a fast, quickly growing show. And that's why we're always going to give you the best content. So we're just starting out this week. I do have jury duty on Thursday, but I'm going to try to do a pre-record. I can't promise it, depending on how busy the week is. But we are just getting started. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.